tend to be yes. recording this tomorrow, right? And I've graciously, um, you know, your last minute changes, you know, which which are like that of a man addicted to a very strong form of cocaine. Said, Nabil, Nabil, can we, can we do it? Can we do it? Can we do it tomorrow? I said, I'm like, you know what? I'll do it tomorrow because I know that you're stressed out drinking Why, why, why do you feel the need to try and bring me down every time we do a podcast? I'm not bringing you down. No, you're, you're trying. I know down. you're not this bringing me down. Love. You're trying though. This is this is tough love, okay? Okay. Okay. Uh, we. Th- this is how this is this is how we express affection in my culture. It's not about molly coddling. I have to help you build character. Thank you. You've gone soft. Thank you. You got too many people kissing your ass, Mr. Editor in Chief, <laughs> but not me. Not me. I feel I feel this is this is probably a good time to to kick off the podcast. Would you like to to do usual? Uh, kicking off. Of course, count me in. Can you do that? Can you? Well, like, huh? count, count me count. in. We can do this. We've You're done this a couple of in. times now. So, no, no, it's fine. It's fine. Okay. Are okay. you ready? I'm ready. I'm ready. My God, we are back again with another episode of I am not your Bilal, and I am me, the person that is not your Bilal, your humble friend, Mr. Nabila Brashi, and joining me is the fantastic. Halala than thou, halal mac daddy. <laughs> the greatest 28 year old I've ever met in my life. You know, the guy that is so square that he doesn't even fit in a square peg. The guy who crosses his legs on the toilet seat, prim and proper, pinky up when he drinks a glass of water. Yeah, Mr. Long Leg Mac Daddy himself, the editor in chief of the Muslim vibe. And he doesn't even like the word vibe, right? But that's just him trying to get down with you peasants because he knows you guys like that kind of language. Hello, Mr. Salim, how you doing? <laughs> Hello, Nabil. Uh, thank you for that. How I, are you? I, I mean, I'm not 28. Good. You're looking. I'm not going to disclose my actual age, but I'm older than 28. So I think I justified a few more of the white hairs on my oh, head. Oh, who's a big boy? <laughs> who's a big boy? <laughs> Uh, okay. Um, how, how are you doing? <laughs> ah, man, we're trying. You know, we're just trying to survive out here. You know, it's tough out here on the mean streets of suburban Croydon. You know, it's terrible. Like the other day, I must have seen some badgers in the garden. You know, like badgers. That's, that's life out here. Yeah. What do you know about badgers, bro? Well, you're keeping it real. I don't know anything about badgers. Yeah, you know, badgers and squirrels and that in my back garden. Like, it's, it's not it's not easy out here. You know, we're just trying to survive. Yeah. But you don't know about that, Mr. Editor Boy. No, I don't know about the struggle. <laughs> um, <laughs> so uh, in terms of the, the podcast uh, today, uh, would you like to introduce yeah. the topic and, and tell people a little bit more about what we're going to be discussing? Yeah, I think we'll have to have a disclaimer slash trigger warning um, because it's something that, I've, as you know, I'm passionate about and I've always wanted to discuss probably one of the things I'm more passionate about than even discussions about race. <gasps> yeah, I know. It's a shock to some people. But um, so I wanted to discuss, uh, I think this, we should probably make, we should probably have a woman talk about this with us. But the reason why I, I didn't get one straight away is part of me feels that as men, we should be able to talk about these things and be honest about these issues from the male perspective and our failings as well. Because, you know, we to a degree, we're all men right now. We're not really doing enough, right? Um, and uh, I also think that it, some of the stuff we're going to discuss today is quite triggering. 
And also there's the fact that men suffer this too. So it's not like it's only women. Men are victims of uh, abuse, like sexual and domestic. And, you know, as we've seen, uh, you know, men can fall prey to predators too, as we've seen with the whole Will Smith, uh, Jada Pinkett entanglement. You know, and that is abuse, by the way. I don't care what anyone says. Is a, because if, is an if, interesting if, word, i got to say. I mean, I know, I know what some men are saying, but like, when, when a kid, when someone is suicidal, when someone is, is, is at a low point in their life, yeah. and you use them for sexual gratification to make yourself feel good, um, you know, imagine if that had been a man, like if that had been Will Smith, who was, you know, um, sleeping with a woman for, no, you know, to make himself feel good. So literally for his own gratification, um, he was doing that with a vulnerable woman who was on the brink of suicide. Right. We we would be cancelling him right now. Um, obviously, I understand that you still can't compare the amount of abuse um, that occurs sexually, yeah. you know, when it's male to female as is to female to male. However, um, people don't realize this, but a lot of black boys are actually sexually exploited by older women. Um, it's actually a cultural phenomenon across the world. Uh, and it, it does come from the fact that, you know, black boys t- are seen to mature a bit quicker, go through puberty, get bigger, taller, quicker, and so on. So a lot of the time, if you read stories of, say, female teachers having sexual affairs with young men, it tends to be with black men. Mm-hmm. And even though it's not the same kind of... Um, I'm looking for... Because I don't want to trigger any of our listeners. Even though it's not the same kind of aggressive dominance for example that comes from men abusing women it's still sexual abuse uh, and it's still wrong but a, a large number of young black boys i would say almost three quarters of the black men i know and that's a lot of black men have experienced this um, really you know from yeah i, it, I think i think not, with this with this particular um incident what's very kind of worrying for me is is I guess the, the origins of how this all came together because age as one thing is not necessarily a problem when it comes to relationships. But the fact that, and they're very open about That's the fact real, that, yeah. that August came to uh, them and they were kind of helping him through his own personal stuff. They didn't go into detail, but it seemed like it was obviously very serious um, in terms of like his mental very health. Serious. And, and then I yeah. guess abusing that position of power and authority. Um, and and, and I think it it kind of it almost lends itself nicely uh, towards the wider discussion we wanted to have today um, around abuse and and using Mm -hmm. positions of power um, and and I guess abusing that trust and that position that you've been given right and it's yeah it's pretty crazy Um, (laughs) and the yeah and the varying degrees as well of power that people have with different positions of influence and also that that line between legality and morality as well because um what jada pinkett has done you know is not illegal uh but i would argue that it was highly unethical and immoral right i would argue that and also i mean i think it's forget about the whole entanglement thing we could come back to i think primarily we should talk about the more common thing which is men abusing right generally you know uh i i think uh, there are so many, many men don't realize the amount of power they have for the positions that they're in. Um, depending on the interests of other people and the time you live in, a lot of things, a lot of positions can be seen as, as powerful positions. 
And, you know, one recurring issue, I mean, we're both Muslims, alhamdulillah, one recurring problem that we find is within our religious circles. Yeah. Men who have been given platforms, serially abusing um, women, both, you know, within the faith and without, and using their powers and their, their positions of power uh, in varying ways to different degrees to escape. And then, unfortunately, wider society... Um, we actually, whether we like it or not, we as men contribute to rape culture. And I know I'm starting to sound like some massive social justice warrior, which I'm not. I'm not a feminist. I, I hate it when people call me that. I don't need to be a feminist to understand right and wrong. And again, I, me saying I'm not a feminist doesn't mean that I'm completely against female rights. I'm just saying my perspective is from Islam. That that's what um that's what my motivation is to ensure that certain things are stopped. Ah, so um, from an Islamic perspective, I feel it's important as a Muslim to fight for those who are oppressed the most. And I find in today's society, most of the time, women will always get it the worst because, like, you you know, think about it. If you're physically uh, less able, if you're born physically, on average, weaker than the average man, smaller than the average man, they're given less opportunities than the average man. You know, whatever sort of discrimination that comes to that group of men, whether it's Muslim men, black men, Arab men, the women will get the worst, which is why we're told if you want to see the position of the, 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 the position in, of a society or their advancement, you should look at the position of the women and what's happening to them. You know, and like I said, I want to have a woman on this and I think we should continue this topic in volumes and get sisters on. But because we're discussing abuse right now, I don't want to risk because the statistics for women, female, um, like remember rape and things like this are underreported. Now, if rape is underreported, then things that lead towards it or at least rape adjacent, imagine how underreported they are. So things like sexual harassment, from groping to all kinds. I don't even want to really go into too much detail. Imagine how much of that stuff happens and it's not reported. And, and a lot of people come out and say things like, yeah, but women lie. And yes, it happens, but only I think as about 9% or something of these um, things are, are lies uh, when reported, right? I mean, people can argue for statistics or whatnot, but generally yeah. the average woman does not have a reason to lie about being sexually assaulted or, or, or raped or abused in any way because the ramifications against the woman in most situations just aren't worth it. It doesn't, it doesn't wear out. It's not the same as that woman framing Mike Tyson or Kobe Bryant. It's not the same as, you know, especially in wider society. In Muslim communities, it's, you know, unless there's some kind of dynamic that will protect the woman 100%, there's very few situations where it's worthwhile. When I mean, we treat divorcees like yeah, trash. Yeah, it makes sense. Right? Mm. You know, it, it's it's terrible. Um, it, you know, I wanted to say like that when, so I guess in the last few weeks, um, the the Will Smith saga is, is one that's quite prominent. But within mm. within Muslim circles, depending on kind of which side of Muslim Twitter you're on, you'll have probably yeah. seen... Uh, different stories and allegations that have come out against individuals and I think it's become quite a rife topic for discussion and and personally yeah. I think we're only at the beginning I think as time goes on 
And as I, there's going to be a lot more, there's going to be a lot more coming out. But I, I thought, again, what was interesting for me was that a, a few weeks or maybe even months ago now, um, you were you were talking on, uh, you did like an Instagram live and you were talking to like the two people that are up at 2 a.m. watching your Instagram lives. I was one of them. I don't know who the second person was. There was like 13 of you, okay? Two, uh, put, some, listen, put some respect on listen, my name. Listen, there, there was, was like at least, at least five, up, at least five people. I'll, I'll give you that. Oh, yeah, that's what it was. <laughs> so, um, but, but no, I, there was one particular one. And I think I messaged you straight away afterwards where I said we should actually talk about this. And, and you were yeah. talking about, because you mentioned now yeah. um, the, the legality versus morality of things. And I think that's something that is often yeah. very much downplayed and not considered. So, you know, you yeah. can, and, and, and what the, the example, and, and I think you should probably explain a little bit more about this, but you were talking about how men basically will cyber stalk women find out a lot of information about them and then use that information to like essentially yes. work their way into their in, into the woman's pants um and yeah. it, i mean in very kind of crude and and in crude terms yeah i mean like i said it's, it's, it's a very difficult thing to talk about politely yeah and you know people listening to this have to keep in mind that uh, both myself and salim are married and we have daughters so it's not, we, we don't take this lightly. We have a lot of anger towards people that do this. And I also know that you shouldn't, I was passionate about these issues before I even had a wife and a daughter or whatever. It's, you, you shouldn't, cause like there's a problem we have as well among men where we're like, oh, that's somebody's daughter. That's somebody's wife. That's somebody's, even if a woman has no male relatives or relationships around her whatsoever, she's still a human being. That is worthy of respect and can I and can I jump in and make and, one quick point yeah. here? I, I've always found that when it comes to like what a man would feel comfortable, especially like in your in your late teens, early twenties, when when guys are having those conversations, yeah. it, it's all laddie and whatever. But then if if you turn around and say to someone, "Oh, but would you let you know how would you feel if that was your daughter?" I, I've mm. always found that to be really problematic. That only if it's my daughter is it a problem. Otherwise, it's okay because it it's problem? just some random person. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And this is I I, I stress it's a strange, that. It's a strange See, dynamic. This, right? I'm so glad. Very strange, and even that in itself shows. It's just like you know the last podcast we talked about how, for example, people like oh, would you let your daughter marry? It's like we use women as currency, mm. and that in itself, even those of us that are well-meaning don't understand that that in itself indicates the problems we have as men. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and like I always tell people, I'm not a feminist, I'm a recovering misogynist, right? Because the fact is we're all guilty of it. We've all been raised in, you know, cults. Like even now, if someone told me like inspiring, I hit like a girl, that would, you know, that would egg me on hit them harder. But I'm like, but there's women out there that hit harder than me. But, you know, that side, I mean, that's a very uh, left field, but, there is an, there is a problem. All these little things add to it. So that what if she's like I know for us there's a hadith of someone that said he went to commit zina and the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam said, "Would you want that for your daughter? No, your sister? No, your mother? No." So people say that yeah, that's why we compare women. And what my understanding is, I've been, as I've been taught, is this: our Prophet and the prophets before him, um, they related to people on the levels that they could understand. So for example, to me, heaven. My Jannah, my, or what Jannah actually is, might, it's not going to be milk and honey, right? It might not be, you know, but the fact is when you're speaking to somebody, there's only, 
so much. You can describe certain things or the scale. You have to break it yeah. down in, in a way that they would understand. And that young man that came to the Prophet Muhammad وسلم, he was young. And obviously, he, at that point in time, his understanding of right and wrong or women and so on might, might have been flawed. And that was the best way to reach him. But I think, you know, now at the stage that we're at, where we've had these conversations for over a thousand years, right? We shouldn't still be thinking like a pre-Islamic or neo-Islamic era Bedouin in the desert. Do you see what I'm saying? That's no insult to the Sahaba and whatnot. But we've made so many advancements that at this stage, we should know. We should know that a woman doesn't need to. Because there's people, if you look at it, what if, is that your, what if that's your sister? What if that's your daughter? The problem is most of these women who are targeted don't have a brother, don't have a dad, don't have an uncle, or they don't have a man in their life that's active. And if there's a man that's active, he's like he's not, as we say, on job. He's not the kind of guy that would be a problem. And, you know, so when I was talking about this um, grooming thing, uh, you know, how these men select their victims and so on, these are things that a lot of girls would know if they had brothers that they had relationships with, right? Because at some point in your brother's life, he's going to be an idiot and you're going to hear how he talks about women and blah, blah, blah. So you understand, like, I'm sorry, most young boys between the age of 11 and 18 are idiots when it comes to women. That's just a fact. We've all been there, right? we not saying we've all done bad things or whatever, but mentally... You've got hormones, you've got media, and then if yeah. there's no parental guidance, there's no father figure in that home, you're going to make things work. And the thing is, I keep telling people this, the word predator now, um, I mean, it is problematic in itself sometimes because it was first used by um, colonialists to describe men from the South Asian continent and Africa, right? They used that to describe us as predatory, as a way to scare white women from being around us. And then we've now adapted it and adopted it to use for things like sexual abuse and whatnot. But in its, in its main form, in its primal form, men are predatory by nature, right? Men are, we, it's, it can be trained out of us. Um, it can be trained out of us as we get older. But we're competitive, are we not? In, in most cultures, the, you know, we only express emotion during sports. When we score a goal, when we win, that's when we cry. That's when tears come out of our eyes. When we've won something, but on a day-to-day -day basis, we don't have the same social advancement that women do. Where women, for example, a woman, my wife's friend can call at 3 o'clock in the morning if she's awake. Right? And the two of them can have a conversation and have a cry or whatever. I mean, she's married to me, so she's not really too much of a cry. But you know what I mean, right? <laughs> we're, we're, we're kind of tough in this also. But, 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 so, so, but do you think that's... Uh nature or nurture and what i mean by that is like you you mentioned the sports example. i think it's it's a bit of both but primarily um you know the, the thing with anthropology is we we don't even know where nature starts and nurture begins mm. because how did the nurture come into existence in the first place so for example the whole thing of um stay at home wives is that nature or nurture biology um dictates like prehistoric times for woman's pregnant and is less mobile and whatnot naturally the man is going to end up working and doing more things to protect his offspring that are coming and, you know, his mate, right? In the most primal sense of it. 
And over time, cultures have developed around that. Yeah. And that's basically how, you know, male dominance and privilege has come to existence. You know, that, that's how it is. Uh, you know, even, it, it's just what, even people argue, sociologists will argue that's how marriage came to be and whatnot. Obviously, Allah's influence, you know, before anyone comes out here and calls man atheist because I read. But, you know, let's talk for Allah. He knows history. He's, you know, but <laughs> nature and nature go hand in hand. Um, the, the hormone that makes people, um, men, the male hormone is testosterone. What does testosterone do? When you have high amounts of it in your body, it makes you more aggressive. Physically, like in terms of violence, as well as sexually, it also makes you physically stronger. The, so the male hormone should tell you what mas- what an aspect or a primal aspect of, of masculinity is. Men by nature are predatory. Men by nature are competitive. Men by nature are aggressive. It can be trained out. It can be nurtured out, but I'm sorry to any feminist, left-wing, sock and sandal-wearing person listening to this. There is a reason why across the globe, in every single culture, most of the wars were caused and fought by men, right? It's a thing. There's a reason why women outlive us. Men are predatory by nature. And because there's, there isn't a moral code governing us that strong anymore, even in Muslim lands, it's not... Uh, our religion in most cases now, Islam, has become a thing that we wear on Friday, that we do on Eid, or if you you do five times a day. But like the Muslim man will leave all his disgusting things that he does during the day, pray for those five minutes, for those four rak'ah, two rak'ah, you know, that he's doing, right? He'll be a saint. And then after he's done that, after all that is gone, you'll go back to his ways, right? Because we don't use Islam as, as a setting, as a principle uh, for us to refer everything that we do to. So we'll do business and we'll cheat people, but then we'll give zakat with the money, you know? And then that goes into the way we deal with women. And you'll find that that predatory nature now, you find that right now, and I always warn sisters and, you know, Allah's my witness and people who follow me on social media, there's at least seven years worth of material on me talking about this. Men, men know w- 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 the only time a man is patient is when he's plotting to get something that he wants. And social media now has exposed so many vulnerable people to predators, particularly women and children. And what these guys do, it's so, you know, cause like her, people who suffer trauma, a lot of the time are perfect uh, targets for people who thrive on traumatizing others. So these guys will sit down at their computer. They'll see a girl that looks good. Click on a profile. They'll go on a profile now. Like Now, this is me saying, before anybody casts, I think sometimes to be able to defend yourself, protect yourself from bad people, you have to understand how bad people think. You have to think like a predator yourself. And the mm-hmm. fact is, me, myself, when I go on my socials, I can spot people on my Facebook that I don't know that well, or Instagram, just looking at your posts, within about 10 minutes, I can tell whether you've got depression, even things like bipolar. I can tell just from going through. And a lot of the time, 
I'm, I'll be, I'll be, I'll know somebody just through their posts. And over time, when I get to know them, they'll reveal to me that something traumatic has happened to them and that they have a certain issue, right? Now, if I can do that, criminals can too. I can tell straight away. I can tell straight away girls who have. If I can, if I can, sorry, if I can jump in here, you, you, Uh I, I don't know the extent of your spider sense when it comes to this stuff, but I think most people listening will also be able to gauge people um, based on their posts. Like I've seen, like I know, for example, when someone's having insecurities and self-confidence issues because they start posting pictures of lions and they have quotes about like the king of the jungle when it's like little man syndrome almost, right? Um, But yeah, no, so so I I think most people can already see that on a basic level. As you said, like when it comes to um criminals and 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 predators and whatever else those people will will also be able to to sense and see this stuff very easily on their social media right better than us better than us in fact you know because the mistake a lot of us make is we assume that criminals and bad people are not intelligent that's the biggest mistake that so-called good people make we assume that a criminal is not intelligent a criminal is more intelligent than you because you work in an office that has guidelines, legal protection in, 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 in place and, and uh, all, all kinds of contracts so on to cover your back. They do everything themselves. They, you know, they have to do their own research, their own marketing. Their own. Criminals are smarter than the average 95 person when it comes to the crime that they commit because that's how they survive. Mm. And these predators, honestly, if, if you don't take time out to prepare your loved ones for them, they're as good as gone already. That's how serious it is. And well, I swear to God, this is no joke. If you, if a girl has not been raised to some degree to understand that there are predatory men out there, she will fall victim to one. It doesn't matter how religious, it doesn't matter how intelligent you think she is. If she does not have, you know, that sort of, at least maybe, unless maybe she gets stung once a little bit, Something happens and then she's intuitive. But the average yeah. person, man or woman, they're not prepared for. So anyway, I mean, we've we've danced around it, but to go straight into it, they'll go, they'll find a girl that um they find attractive, for example. Then uh, they they they'll they'll go on her social media, right? Look at all the pages that she likes, right? Follow follow um the pages. And then check to see if they get updates, especially now there's all kinds of ways on Instagram and whatnot where you can follow even a hashtag you can follow. And these things, the way these things are set, if you don't go over your settings, somebody can see all the videos you watch on your YouTube. So if I go on your Facebook, I can go use your name, search up your YouTube, use your email, search up your YouTube, see the videos you like on YouTube, right? See what you've got on Pinterest, what you follow on TikTok, who you follow on Instagram, right? Look at all your comments on different things, Twitter and so on. And I can build all this stuff within five, six days. I can build a profile of somebody. And then from there, and people say, oh, are men even smart enough to do that? And that's like, I was actually warning a sister about this the other day. She said, are men smart enough to do that? Men invented the ships that take people to space. They invented rockets. Uh, Men have helped develop the internet. I'm sure that somebody is smart enough to do this. Like, I'm not a very bright guy, but if I can see this stuff and know it can be done, somebody who gains satisfaction from doing these things definitely not to do it. So they'll now look at the post. Does she post a lot of selfies? 
a larval, I don't care, I know I'm beautiful, we are blah, blah, blah. Okay, she's got self-esteem, self-esteem issues. Does she bash men a lot? Okay, boom, she's had a heartbroken before. Blah, blah, blah. And that's how they creep into the girl's life. And they know all the things she likes. So they know all the comments to make. So, for example, you might make a comment underneath a video. He'll respond to your comment with something very witty. And it will be linked to things that you like. And all of a sudden, oh, my God, this guy is so funny. Right? And humor is always the first way in. Humor or religiosity, depending on what circles. Um, if it, if it, they, they either respond and make themselves out to be very pious and understanding. Or they're very funny. And then from there... Discussions happen, they follow each other, start talking. Like this is unless this is before the um the, the stuff that happens on stuff like marriage websites and dating websites is different. But on just regular social media this is what they do. They'll slide into the slide into the DMs, start talking to you. Before you know it, you know, or from banter, you start having serious conversations, and the first thing they'll do, they'll talk to you about trauma that they've been through in their life. Right? Because the moment he talks to you about trauma, he makes himself appear vulnerable to you, the person reading it, right? Women do it too to men, but this is something that a lot of people do. And sometimes they may be well-meaning, but these already are alarm bells. You've been talking to somebody for only two or three days, and already they've, they've told you something really horrible that's happened to them. They've now created empathy. And then you may fall into the trap of telling them whatever horrible thing has happened to you. Yeah. You're now doing what we call trauma bonding, right? And you think, wow, he's so different from other guys, right? He's so different from other guys. He's such a nice, nice guy, blah, blah, blah. You start to trust this person. And then over time, nature takes course, relationships happen. And, you know, you start seeing the signs of narcissistic behavior. And, you know, again, this is, like, this, this is why I say I'm not feminist. Because when I say these things, they can be misconstrued as sexist. I don't mean it that way, but it is what it is. A lot of the time... Women are, are taught to see the best in men, right? And it stems from childhood, which I hope I can cover. But so they overlook these things because, oh, he's a nice guy, you know, he, you know, blah, blah, he's a nice guy. And then the abuse starts to take place over time, right? And it, it happens two, two phase. Sometimes, uh, first off, when, when the woman starts to like react to him and say, why are you doing this? It, it comes from a place of, oh, you know what? I'm sorry, I told you, I've been through all these things that have happened to me, right? All these things happened to me when I was younger, and that's the way I, that's why I'm the way I am. Um, I'm sorry, I don't mean to do the things that I'm doing. Then, you know, after a while, when that stops working, it will go to, yeah, well, you did this, this, and this when you were younger, or you did this and this with this, this, and this person, so who's going to have you now if you leave me? Right, who's gonna have you now? Um, uh, and and then they start saying things every day, like every day to put down the person that they're with. You know, they start saying things maybe about the person's appearance. They'll embarrass you in public. They'll do little things to make you doubt your. And they'll gaslight you as well. So they'll do things to wind you up and upset you, and then lie and say that they never did these things. You know, they'll say things very mean things it might be about things you're insecure about maybe it's your weight maybe it's your body or something that's happened to you when you were young they'll say these things all the time constantly and then they'll gaslight you and act like they've never said these things it never happened oh i don't remember saying that i never said that it's all in your head right so they've already worked on your old insecurities 
and then they're giving you new ones as well. They make you doubt yourself. And then when push tests shove and no one wants to leave, oh yeah, go on, I'm gonna if you leave, that's where now blackmailing comes in a lot of the time. These men threaten to blackmail you. If they're not physically abusive, that is, then they're mentally abusive, they threaten with blackmail, they they threaten with, with, with slander and all sorts of things. And then when that doesn't work, they revert back to the I'm sorry, I didn't mean to. It's because I'm this and this way. And it's a horrible cycle and there's no easy way for women to leave these things, right? There's no easier for women to leave. But what I can say, because people say, why don't you just leave? They don't understand that this person often create a dependency. You know, a lot, a lot of women are in these situations and they're in too deep because maybe they've already been married and divorced before or they're worried about what will happen to their reputation if they leave this person. Um, they might be scared to be alone. Mm. They might even genuinely think that this person loves them. That's That's the saddest one. That's so sad. They might believe that this man genuinely cares for them and nobody else will. And they're stuck in these situations. These situations are bad. There's no easy way for a woman to leave a situation that she's already in, uh, especially if she doesn't have a support network around her. Mm. Right? And we all too often we say things like, why didn't you just leave? Why didn't you just leave? Because it's that simple, right? A lot of the time there are financial uh, ties, there are emotional ties. A lot of the time, these women may already have a bad reputation because of a mistake they made in the past, which is why these guys target them in the first place. Mm. Um, a lot of the time, uh, these these uh, women don't have a family that is supportive. Um, a lot of the time, as well, the, 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 these women have suffered this abuse for so long that there's marked um, damage on their self-esteem. Right. And it's funny because some of these women, you know, and I, people always say, like, whenever I see women that post way too many selfies or, or not way too many, but loads of selfies every day and positive affirmations, it's such a sign that there's something going on there. Right. It's such a sign because a lot of the time what we put out, we're not talking to people say the image that people put up on their social media is what they want everyone else to see. But that's a lie. We put stuff on our social media that we want to be. You know, now, if you have to remind yourself every day that you're pretty, that means that somebody kept on telling you that you were ugly. If you have to remind, you know, all these things. So, you know, I, I think and, and I think one of the few things I would advise um, women, um, girls, men, whoever uh, who are vulnerable is if you have people on your social media that you don't know or your social media is open to people that you don't know. Do not put stuff on there about your emotional state constantly. Do not. Um, also have your settings such that people can't see the pages that you're following. So, for example, if you're following pages that are support groups for whatever issue that you have and it's not something you want people to know, there are settings on Facebook and Instagram to make all of that private, right? Um, I can't, you know, people say, oh, Nabil, your social media primary mainly is open. I'm a public person. If you're not a public person, like, we can't all be um, influencers. And to be honest with you, at least half of these influencers have mental health issues themselves, right? Um, and are trying to go through some stuff. It's just that they became influencers uh, by accident. But I would say you have to be very careful with what you put up there, especially when it comes to relationship status, um, 
when it comes to issues with your parents, you know, because again, a lot of the time, it starts to go wrong from the dad. You know, a lot of fathers basically primed their daughters to go into abusive relationships. Um, most most girls that, you know, not most, because I can't quantify that, a large number of girls you see in these horrible situations, it, the relationship with their father was not there or it was terrible, mm-hmm. right? And I think as men, that is our responsibility. So, that's our responsibility there. We have to make sure we're not that father. You know, that damaging dad. So I, when, like, I mean, you've done a good job, I guess, of of, of uh, going through everything that you mentioned on the Instagram Live. And, and I think for myself personally, it was very eye-opening and, and quite shocking uh, the, the depths that um, people will go to um, to essentially, you know, lure someone in and to win someone's trust and everything else. And I, I think that's the thing that like, I'm sure that I was completely oblivious to to everything that you kind of just talked about now. And I can only imagine how many other people, as you say, if they haven't experienced anything like this, even on a micro level, won't have their guard up and won't even begin to think and assume that someone's out there or there are people out there like this who are actively looking for, for people to be able to essentially prey on in this way. Um, and that's the scary thing, I think. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's 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 horrifying, and it you know I think about it, and it's like, you know, um, I was saying like I had uh, a friend, a, f- a sister that knows myself and my wife came over a while back, and she's a grown woman with two grown kids, right? Um, I think her oldest child is nineteen or something, so it's not a young like I mean, obviously young is a state of mind, but it's not an immature person, right? And she might be listening to this, so I don't want. <laughs> but like when she was leaving, um, she had her car parked across the road. Now I live in a very safe area, you know. I know I joke about living in Croydon, but I live in nice Croydon, man. Like we we don't have anything. Like I said, the worst is you're gonna have is foxes and badgers. But it was dark, and her car was parked maybe two minutes away from my house. Mm. And still, she was like, you know, without thinking, I offered to walk her. Because, again, it, it's cultural for me. Like, again, being the misogynistic, heteronormative man that I am, I I, I, I offer my seat to women. Uh, I open the door for women and, and that sort of thing. Like, I'm sorry, I can't help it. I'm old school. So I walked her to her car. And, you know, I thought to myself as well, this is a grown... She's older than me. Like, this is a full-grown woman. And... I still need to walk her to a car. Like, since I turned 13, 14, I've never been afraid to walk down the street in the dark. Even when I was involved in foolishness that probably meant that being out at that time would have gotten me in, in trouble or whatever, I've never felt fear to walk down the street unless there was actual immediate danger, right? Unless, like, there was people there that I knew for a fact intended to cause harm whether it was you know you know whatever but i've never just felt a fear a latent fear whereas most women who are at least aware socially live in a state of latent fear unless of course they haven't experienced anything yet some live in a bubble but most sensible women have a latent state of fear when they're out and about at night, when they... And it doesn't matter how old we... And you know, funny enough, 
this woman still, she got into a car, she drove off, she got harassed in her car that same day on her way home, not far from my house, by two men. Wow. Um, <clears throat> you know, on my Insta, sister I know was talking about, you know, how she was walking down the street and uh, a man saw her. So she's a hijabi. Um, I think she's Bengali. No, I think she is. And a strange man, Caucasian, saw her as far walking up to her and doing strange things, right? And she was scared to cross the road because he was following her and she was going to have to go into an alleyway. And then uh, another man, a black man, across the road came to her and said, let me walk you, right? And walked her across the road. And when she got to the other side of the road, a man that saw her as a hijabi walked down the street with this guy who didn't look visibly Muslim, looked at her with disgust, even though he had seen the crazy man uh, on the road that was behaving in a threatening manner. This man mm. could have tried to rape her, kill her, but, you know, she had to be conscious of two things. One, her safety. Then afterwards, how she's perceived as a woman. Did you see what I'm saying? Like These are the kind of pressures that women deal with Every day, right? I, I can't fathom it. And and we still have men that will sit down and mock women that ask us to talk about these issues. And it's scary because it's like I've got, it's like even from, from birth, a woman is never completely safe from men outside of her house or even in her house. Yeah. Like what kind of existence we, we, we is did that? A... What kind of existence is this? No, I was going to say that we, we did a documentary uh, a while back with the Muslim Vibe and we were, we were focusing on mm. um, child sexual abuse and, and the abuse that, that people have faced predominantly obviously within the Muslim community as that's the audience that we're talking about. And, and I remember... The Muslim I, community, yeah? I, I was in the... <laughs> is that a, a shielded thing about South Asians again? Or you just... Re no, again, what are you talking about? Anyways, um, so th th there was one interview that I was actually present. I was helping with the shoot and um, the psychologist that we were speaking to was very clear and explicit. And she was basically saying that, well, number one, I think it's a known fact that I think nine out of 10 or 75% of abuse cases are, are from, or child abuse cases are from people who know. Trusted their, family members. Exactly, trusted family members. And, and, and essentially she was saying that like you, you can't, trust anyone with your kids literally um you know be it your your best friend your uncle your cousin your Mexican, brother yeah. whoever and, and it's, it's it's crazy that like you know traditionally even like i was discussing with my wife about our daughter growing up i was like oh sleepovers would you be okay with sleepovers and whatever mm. else but it it takes and, and my wife said something quite yeah. deep she she said that she said that if anything happened even if there's like a, a window of one minute where someone is able to abuse her or say something or do something and this then traumatizes her for life potentially she will never be able to forgive herself or forgive us basically for allowing us to put our daughter in that position um and, and it's it's interesting yeah. i think because how i was brought up and and how you know a lot of people are brought up in, especially in these community settings that oh everyone is trusted it's your cousin it's your uncle it's your friend your your parents grew up together it's all good but I think time has kind of taught us and, and, and I think even society at large, like you look at the things like Jimmy Savile and everything else, we're starting to learn and appreciate that just because someone's smiling doesn't mean you can trust them. Just because someone is a celebrity or a family member 
um, we, we can't just be like, oh, yeah, it's all good because you don't know the reality. Right. And I think coming back to what you were saying just now, even social media has has given light to such a different side to people that often you don't even realize. And yeah. now you have catfish. account. The fact that a show like Catfish exists just shows exists. The, the depths to which people will yeah. go. Do you know what I mean? And the I don't fact, know, you know it's crazy. And, and, uh, I got into it with some guy who apparently is an imam from up north, right? And uh, basically it was under an, uh, an article talking about a particular practice that we put in place in our house here. Now, my children, whenever we have guests, I do not make them hug or kiss anyone. I don't make my I don't say go and hug uncle. I don't say go and hug auntie or grandma. No, I don't mm. do this. Um, I don't make them sit on anyone's lap. I don't. In fact, I prefer they don't. I don't normalize physical contact. Um, like if they want to go and hug somebody, if they want someone to pick them up, that's fine. Right? While I'm there. But I don't leave, I, I do not make them feel that just because somebody's uncle, auntie, grandma, you should shake their hand. I see people do this mm. in the mosque, it disgusts me. I don't say shake uncle's hand. I don't say shake, no touching. Nobody has the right to, t my children understand this. And now that my oldest is old enough to understand, we, it's, it goes deeper. I've told them nobody has the right to touch you. Nobody, especially not no man, has the right to put their hand on you, right? Um, if you want to, like if it's your uncle, you want to go and hug uncle, fine. But like, I'll tell you this, my two-year-old comes to me sometimes and says, daddy, change nappy. I'll change a nappy. If she goes to her mom and says she wants her mom to do it, her mom does it at two. Because even though it sounds, unless like one of us has to, because from early, I need them to understand the autonomy of their body. I need them to understand this is your body. This is your body. You have the right to set boundaries. Because what people don't understand, and this is where this, like, you know, this country bumpkin imam guy like, was arguing with me online. What was he saying? saying that it's dis He's saying that it was disrespectful because of, that somebody told their child that if their child doesn't want to kiss their grandma, they don't have to. That that's an insult to the grandma. And I said, no. It's not going to kill grandma. And he was like, yeah. So that means you're saying the grandma's a pedophile. You know how some people just have a folk understanding of everything. They don't understand nuance. And, I'm, and they're like, oh. I'm like, no. It's that the child needs to learn over time that they have autonomy of their body. Right? Because you don't just learn things. It's just like, for let me give you an example, right? You can't have a son that you've never taught anything about being... Uh, or, or daughter. You can't have a child that you've never taught anything about being assertive or standing up for themselves. And then one day, your son gets beaten up at school by another kid, right? Whether it's bullying or whatever, and he comes home, he's like, oh, dad, what did I do? You just say, be a man. And then you walk out of the room. Like, what? what's that going to do? You've had the whole this child's whole childhood to prepare mentally, uh, even physically, to understand how to deal with certain situations, whether it's walking away, telling a teacher, saying no, but... You didn't teach the child any of these things. And then you, you are surprised when tomorrow they end up uh, in, in a job and they're being forced to do things they don't want to do because they don't have the courage. That, that courage, that charity begins at home. That courage. So like, for example, now we have many sexual abuse cases where it's a gray area because a man in a position of power was able to make a woman do things like get sexual favors from a woman. 
And she was scared to say no because she felt that this man is so powerful. She didn't like you, you know the social talk about whether woman because it's a trusted person, for example. She like even at home, uncle tries to touch you a certain way. But you know when you're when you, you're talking so, sorry, when, when you're talking about like the norms of growing up and and how you know, like for example, you have to hug this person, you have to give them a kiss, you have to sit on their lap, whatever else. I, I almost feel like that mm. mentality of like, oh, someone senior, someone superior, someone in power, you have to do certain things. That becomes a learned behavior that when you grow up and you find yourself in a position where yeah. the person in power is so now tomorrow, the when imam of a mosque or a respected person, you're, you're not going to be able to say no because you HR have to conform. At the office. Exactly. And people don't understand. It's like, I'm not saying that children get abused if you, if you teach them these things. They can't, they're still vulnerable. There are other mm. steps, but like building that confidence and understanding that my body is my body, you can't touch it, means that they're more likely to react when, or, or have the courage to say no or walk away or see the signs of somebody being abused. So many women are like, oh, he did this to me and I, I didn't feel comfortable, but I couldn't say anything. I didn't walk away. I was scared. Or like that, that from childhood, a lot of children, a lot of women particularly are taught that their existence is to validate the needs of a man. So to the point where when guests come in, the boys will sit down among the guests, but the girls who may even be older and the boys sitting down there, or maybe younger are the ones going to fetch water, fetch food. See, in my household growing up, right? When guests came, everybody did chores. Not just my sister. No, everybody did stuff. Go and get a drink for uncle. Go and get this for uncle. In my household, everybody was made to learn how to cook. Not just the girls. In my household, I was never told that I have to give anybody a kiss or a hug Mm. or sit on anyone's lap. And my mother did not allow me to be in the same room as any adult, right? Unless she was there while I was little. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? And this may sound extra, but at the end of the day, it's better to be, it's better to have and not need than to need and not have. Because a lot of people now, like you listen to, look at this situation of that guy, um, what's his name? Asim Hussein from up north that got his 13 year old niece pregnant, right? And I'm saying his name because it's already been exposed. It's not backbiting. Anybody can research it, right? Um, I listened. You know, this is, this is so many things about this is an example of things that disgust me because you listen to when he was being held to account by the committee that um, found out what he was doing. And I think Azra Rashid, mm-hmm. who was one of the people there, was enraged. He was the only person that was angry about what this guy did. But there were people in the recording, because the recordings on Facebook, you listen to it, that were laughing about it, that were laughing about what happened. This man was such serial sexual predator in a religious institution. And even these things begin from when boys are taught that they can do whatever they want. Yeah. They're not held to the same standards that girls are held to, right? They're not being disciplined. They, they go out, they do whatever they want, and no one says anything. But then a the girl does something small and all hell breaks loose. These people might as well just give the groomers the keys to their children's rooms because you don't realize it. You're teaching your child to be a victim or you're teaching your child to go out and be a disrespectful, misogynistic, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to, I'm trying not to swear today. But the, the parents also don't find out who their kids' friends are. 
They're not vigilant with what adult. How what your child should not be left with any adult unless there's absolutely no way that you can help it. You know, like my daughter went to nursery at three because at three she was able to speak coherently and clearly. And every day when I got her from nursery, the first thing I would ask after we say hello and whatnot, what did you do today? How was your day? Right? And she will recount the whole. And this is why it's important to listen to your kids and teach your kids that you value the things they say, which is what, why even if my daughter comes here now and starts talking to me about unicorns, aliens, ninja turtles, pe- pepper pig, whatever, you listen. From, if you don't do it now, you won't do it later when they're a teenager and they've got a bit of an attitude. You won't. Mm. You have to. And they, they won't do it either. You have to build a culture in your house. Where as long as your child can remember, you were always somebody that they could speak to. And where possible, do not allow your child to be under the care of any adult until at the very least they are old enough to talk, one. And two, they are potty trained. So many of the Muslim children that came to my daughter's nursery, even at the age of three, could not go to the toilet themselves, could not do things themselves. This is not acceptable because then you've now given an adult an excuse to be in close proximity with your child when they're basically uncovered. So now, in that period of time, there's a gray area where things can happen and the adult can say it was in the name of hygiene and cleaning your child. We teach, my, I've been, I taught my daughter from two. From two. They know. You, you, your, your body is not exposed in front of somebody, except mommy and daddy. Nobody should see you naked. Nobody should touch you. These are the, like, we use shame, shame, but that's the way we use. But these are your private parts. Nobody touches these parts of your body. Nobody touches these parts of your body. You don't talk to strangers. Only talk to the teacher. You go to school, you ask the teachers questions. You, you inspect the nursery. I went, I worked for the council and learned how to check for safeguarding issues just so that when my child would would go to nursery. I'd be able to carry out these inspections myself. All the staff at my child's nursery knew me, and they knew I don't play games. Even when there was no need for concern, I'd turn up and scare them just because. I'd turn up and ask questions. When, when, how often does this get changed? How, how many staff? People don't even know what questions to ask when they send their child to nursery. How many people? Go, look for nurseries with cameras if you can. There's nurseries out there now. You, you can go on your phone, and check at any given point in time for about 10 minutes where your child is, what they're doing. Be proactive. Too many of these, too many of us come from these immigrant families where they just want to work and they drop you somewhere and go. My daughter would do kickboxing. Uh, as you know, my daughter was started kickboxing around the same time she started nursery. I would turn up. Again, Muslim parents would come in, leave their kids, leave their kids at the premise, even though there's a sign that says all children should be accompanied with an adult. Muslims treat any outing as daycare. Leave their kids to run rampant, run wild. No discipline. They're not there watching their kids, making sure their kids actually learning. They use that as a chance to go and do their shopping or do whatever they can. I know it's hard. Look, I have no family around. Yeah, my family's all far away. It's just me and my wife looking after our kids, right? Just the two of us. We do not get the rest of other people. People ask me, why don't you do this video? Why don't you do that? Because I can't, right? My, my life revolves around my kids. I don't, we don't leave them with anybody, right? I know it's hard, but there is no excuse to leave your child unsupervised. 
in some of these places. But there's this village mentality that we have from back home, a lot of us, that, oh, you can just leave your child to stand outside and you go inside and sleep. Can you imagine? I, I've read a story of somebody whose child, and, you know, I'm not saying, I'm not victim blaming, but I'm just saying, this person left their child uh, sitting down at their doorstep during the Notting Hill Carnival and they were inside their house sleeping. Brother, on a scale of 1 to 10, how stupid is that? Nothing, you're sleeping in your bed, right? And you left the children sitting down at their doorstep during a carnival. On a normal day, that's a stupid thing to do. The children were 5 and 10. On a normal day, that is stupid. But on this day, this deserves a Darwin Award. This is a day where people who are on drugs, uh, people who are drunk, people who are not from the area, so once they come here and leave, you'll never see them again, are walking the streets. And parents just leave their kids. You know, I'm not going to say what happened to the children. Alhamdulillah, it wasn't serious, but something happened that day that may have traumatized that child. As parents, we really need, we really need to, to, to start understanding. Children are not an accessory. They're little people. And everything we do now will affect the kind of person they grow up to be. And for us men with daughters, it is imperative that we are proactive in their lives. And like, so for example, a lot of girls, the reason they fall for the most obvious, obvious cases of narcissists and abusers is because growing up, their father was never affectionate to them. Their father was never loving towards them. Why? Because we come from these manly cultures. We're such men. Look at us. So you can't even be loving towards your child. You don't spend time to play with your child. You don't spend, I don't care if it's tea parties, you know, do these things with your kids. It pays dividends when they get older. Because a lot of these girls now, and things like, I don't know if I have to mention this, but I, on a professional level, like I co-founded a supported housing organization in Croydon five years ago. I worked with hundreds of uh, vulnerable people, many of whom are women. And almost every vulnerable woman, the gateway to the situation they were in, whether it was drug abuse, prostitution, or crime, it all started off with abuse. And a lot of it linked back to the father, not being there, not spending time with them. Some of us think, yeah, I'm not an alcoholic. I'm not a junkie. I don't beat my kids. Maybe not. But you come back from work and you just sit down at the television. You don't know your kids' friends' names. Your kids don't even feel comfortable coming to play with you. What do you think that's going to translate to when they're teenagers? You think all of a sudden they're just going to do what they're supposed to do? They're just going to come and say, oh, look, dad, this is the guy I met who's at the masjid that comes from your village, looks exactly like you, and earns a million pounds a week. You think that's what's going to happen if if you're not playing an active role in your child's life? Nobody's perfect. Like, I'm saying this. I have loads of toxic masculinity issues. (laughs) You know what I mean? I agree. But we, we can't be perfect, but we can be better. We're not doing enough. And I'm telling you, the worst case, we're so quick to say Islam gave women rights. But Muslims are some of them, you know, when, when you come to Muslim households, and it's not, and before people always love to say, it's brother, brother, it's not Islam, it's the culture. I know that, right? I know I'm Muslim, not sure if you noticed. Muslim countries are the worst countries for women to live in. True or false? You look at the sexual, you see scholars encouraging sexual abuse in Egypt. You see things happening in other parts of the world, men stalking women because their hair is out. Things like we have a problem and we don't take this seriously enough, right? It's not enough just to care about your daughter. If you're out and you see a woman being harassed, 
You need to step up and do something. I'm not saying put someone in a coma for hollering at a woman, but simple things like a woman's walking down the street, she's being harassed. Walk up to her, pretend to know her, and walk her home. That's what we used to do when I was growing up. Um, I was telling my wife about this. My neighbor's daughter, um, who like was my schoolmate, we didn't get on in school. We used to argue all the time. We hated each other. I hated her. She hated me. But we lived in the same gated community um, back home. right? And some strange man was driving to her. She was walking home from seeing a friend. She was still in a school uniform, and a grown man was driving towards her. She saw me. Two of us looked at each other. I was like, oh, come, mom. I think mom's home now. This girl and I don't even look alike. <laughs> right? We don't even, we're not even the same tribe. But I knew, this is me as a teenager, right? But I knew that this girl was being stalked by a grown man. And I'm sorry, there's another thing. Women need to understand as well. You need to know exactly who and what you are and how you appear to someone else. So, like, for example, you're a sister you've and this is not me being judgmental okay because i'm i'm you notice i never talk about hijab and all this stuff but like you're somebody as a sister i'm talking to you like you your your um online presence and your outward appearance is not that of somebody that's even vaguely practicing in islam allah alam you may be the biggest scholar alima you may pray five times a day you do all that stuff but your outward appearance is misleading this guy who gives da'wah then approaches you and starts telling you about Islam. And then all of a sudden he wants to meet you in private. You have to ask yourself, when he looks at me, what does he see? And if he sees that, then what? why does he want to meet me in private? Why is he inviting me to his house? Why is he inviting me to his hotel room? When he starts sending you inbox messages saying this, that, and the other. And he, he puts out the image of someone that does not do these things. Right? You need to ask yourself... What does he want from me? See, we had sexual education um, in Nigeria, in the north. I, I grew up in the northern Nigeria, Sharia law, all of that. We still had sexual education. We were, taught, we were taught about predators. We were taught about older people. You know, now you go to these schools, they don't really have that. They teach kids about gender issues and so on. But they don't teach them the bare facts about sexual abuse and exploitation. Right? So you, you walk past any school, you're bound to find, depending on where, you're bound to find some grown men lurking around in parks. You see them lurking around on estates in nice cars and whatnot, flashy cars. And these guys are like 21, 22. And they're driving in areas where there's girls as young as 13, 14. It's happening all over, not just up north, everywhere. Now, if, if you haven't had a conversation with your kids, and this is the thing, these things are in levels, they're in phases. I'm sorry, I've been talking for a long time. I've just got so much I need to get out there because... You know, I might not be alive next week and it's important. Even if it's my own child that they hear this, if I'm not here, do you see what I'm saying? It's very important. These things, right? These guys will come out, they'll come with their flashy car, whatever it is, and they're, they're predators on the prowl. Now, the, the education of our kids has to come in levels and strata. So when they're young is, you don't have to sit on uncle's lap. When they're four or five is, these are your private parts. As your child starts to get older, you need to ramp up what you're, you're teaching them. You need to ramp up what you're teaching and start telling them a look. Like, for example, I'm going to be honest. My daughter is five years old. She looks like she's seven or eight. She's very tall for her age. So it's an uncomfortable thing. But as a man, I already know. I already know my daughters are very pretty. I already know that by the time my daughter is 10, she might look 12 
or 13 because that's the way nature is going these days that's the way nature is these days so we have to start telling them from earlier about stranger danger from there you have to start warning them look boys will do this boys will lie to you and this is what this is from my culture men and women do this with their kids they tell them look i was on tour last year for um and you know there was a bunch of us comedians and volunteers and as usual, I ended up being taken on this uncle role. And just out of <laughs> having this conversation, I asked all the volunteers there, did your parents ever talk to you about the birds and the bees? And they said, no. Every last one of them. They didn't talk to you about, did your parents ever warn you about what men are like? Did your parents ever warn you about the things that, you know, exploitation, sugar mummy, you know, all these kind of things, sugar daddy, rapists, pedo. Said so no, in their life, nobody ever told them about these things. And these people, like, what, they were different from 18 all the way to 25. So it's like, I've, when I was less sensitive, I've had conversations with women that have been in horrible situations. And may Allah forgive me if I hurt them or triggered them by asking them. But I said, how did you not know that this guy was going to do this and this with you? Don't you have any sense? It's like, well, I don't have any brothers. And he said he loved me. So how was I supposed to know? And I'm like, are you dumb? Like, just look at films, look at Facebook. So I'm, I wouldn't talk that way now. But it, mm. it occurred to me that the way I was raised is a privilege because many parents don't even do that. Literally, they drop you in school, take you to madrasa. And the only talk a lot of people get is, free mixing is haram. Khalas, yeah. That's it. Now they won't free mix. But you put on TV and they're watching 13 Reasons Why. They're watching uh, even things like Ertugu. There's still romance in these things. <coughs> even if it's not pornographic, they're seeing interaction between men and women. They think they know it all. They've not even been taught basic things to know when something is wrong. This guy drives. They, girls mature faster than boys. Older men turn up waiting for them. You've never had the talk with them about predators you never even told you just told them don't mix with boys yeah well this is a man he's an adult he's mature and i'm mature obviously i'm 14 uh, right and then you know you're not listening to the music your kids are listening to you're not looking at their social media looking at what they follow so all these memes even from muslim even from muslim muslim um muslim instagram pages and muslim tiktok pages and muslim facebook page so-called halal banter muslim tiktok you see all these things that still even if they don't overtly do it they covertly push kids towards being sexualized in one way shape or another they're showing girls dressed a certain way makeup a certain way certain types of romantic music um things about couple and love and all that kind of stuff and if it's 13 and 14 year olds looking at this a guy drives they don't they don't know that if your parent has not told you that there are men out here that exploit and they will say these things and they will appear like this, they don't know they don't know if you don't have conversations if you just you're one of those people that just automatically when you hear that um somebody has mentioned her all of a sudden they're holy if you yourself don't practice and then they see somebody that appears to be very practicing they're just going to be naive and believe that, that person is how they present themselves to be. They, they, if you don't teach them to take people with a pinch of salt, they won't. <coughs> and then that's where a lot of these disasters happen. You know, and, you know, a big problem is a lot of us look at other communities. 
and say it doesn't happen in our own. Very stupid. Abuse happens in every community. It may take different shapes. So, for example, a lot of people don't like me for mentioning the issues that a lot of South Asians are involved in. But they don't realize I don't spare my own because like, I live in South London. I'm a South London black Muslim, Aki, whatever you want to call it, right? And a huge problem we're having here was a form of sexual abuse as well, where these guys would marry sisters, sleep with them, and divorce them. Or, <clears throat> under the guise of giving da'wah, they would inbox sisters, talk all that marriage talk, groom them, have sham marriages with them, sleep with them, and divorce them as well. Right? And, you know, particularly revert brothers. And a lot of them were black. And this is why... As well, I try and stay away from encouraging interracial marriage as a way to defeat racism because these guys actually use that to their advantage. What they'll do is they'll find... And the thing is, the Asian and Arab girls are seen as the easiest targets because they know that, one, a lot of the time they don't have relationships. This is not me throwing shade. Well, like I'm doing this to help. So anybody listening to this, even if you're offended, I'm sorry, but I'm doing this to help. And you know this is the truth. You don't use they those disclaimers Asian... when you're talking about South Asians doing things. Only only when it's about black people. Just just stating that. Uh? Sorry? Yeah, okay. It is what it is, isn't it? Anybody that watch smoke knows where I'm at. But what I'm saying is, like, Allah, this this is I'm those of you Asians that are listening to this, I'm not making I'm not saying this to put you down. I'm telling you this as a fact. These guys from other communities that that maybe, especially those that become Muslim, right? Whether it's African, African Caribbean, a lot of these boys see Asian girls and Arab girls as easy targets because they're seen as naive, they're seen as easy to mislead, they're seen as inexperienced because they, 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 because it's known that a lot of the time these people's parents do not have conversations with them about these things. It's see, so what they'll do, they'll get a girl. And like, if you're, if you're like a Desi Muslim or an Arab Muslim, they'll say, oh, your dad is like some kind of Sufi deviant, right? He's off the manhaj. He's not really practicing because he goes to a peer sahib. So, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to talk to him about marrying me. Let's get married in secret. And then the day your parents don't need to know because they're innovators. They're grave worshippers. They, they, they have so many terms that they use. And then they'll marry this girl who's often very young, very, very young, doesn't know anything about anything. And this girl thinks she's doing the greatest thing in the world because she's marrying a black guy, right? So no racism in Islam. So she'll have mixed race babies and she can put them on her Instagram and she'll become like a social media influencer with a million views and buy a Bentley. And they find themselves, you know, being abused, um, neglected after that. You know, they, they get like a maher of KFC and the flipping dowry of a, of a text message. You've seen girls getting maher for, uh, I've seen all sorts, shoes, a verse of the Quran. Quran is not supposed to be used as maher or dowry. He'll recite Quran to you. Can't you go on YouTube and listen to Quran? No, but it's romantic, yeah, because this deen, yeah, money, like, these girls get groomed. They, 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 what they'll do, they'll preach to these girls for like a week. And put their convenient version of Islam in their head. Oh, I don't have to actually pay for anything for you. You know, I'm struggling right now. So Islamically, you can waive your rights to financial support and this, that, and the other. They marry these girls, they sleep with them, and 
you know, next week they send them like a talak text. They don't even divorce them face to face. You know, some of the, sometimes it's a week. Sometimes they'll marry these girls, sleep with them for like a couple of months and then go marry a second sister, divorce this one. It's almost like a marriage Ponzi scheme, right? And these girls are taken for a ride because most of them have not studied the fiqh of marriage. Most of them are very young and immature. And most importantly, their dads are just not, um, you know, there's no father there, right? There's no brothers or the brothers might be idiots themselves, right? The mom is, com- you know, is, is completely naive. A lot of the time, when it's immigrant families, there's a language barrier between the parents and the kids. The parents don't know how these things work. The parents are old-fashioned. They don't know what's going on. And this is what happens. And I'm saying this, black guys are the biggest culprits. Black Muslims are the biggest culprits of this. And I, I feel bad saying it because people will say that I'm attacking my own. But the thing is, we have to we have to speak the truth, even when it's against our own people. And that's why I never use interracial marriage as this thing that's a breakthrough. Because another thing, racist parents actually make it easier for these guys to do it. Because sometimes the girl actually does go to the dad and say, oh, dad, the guy approached me and he's really nice and he's got like this nice gold tooth and he's muscular. <laughs> he's from Brixton. And the guy's like, what's his name? Leroy. What? <laughs> and the father was like, you can never marry. No, Kala can never marry my daughter. And that happens. And then the girl has already been told that, look, if your father um, rejects me for the reason of race, He's no longer a wali. His his um his opinion is now batil because he's he's judging by that other that, that which is outside of Islam. So a lot like I remember I keep on saying that if, if, even if I was a racist dad, I wouldn't say I'm racist. I'd, I'd meet the guy and say, "Oh, I didn't like him. You know, he didn't seem right for you. His personality <laughs> wasn't right." But these fathers are so jahil that. They give the racist the excuse by saying, no, they, they, they give the predator the excuse by saying, oh, you can't marry him. You, you can't marry that guy because he's not even from our paint. Forget about, you know, color and whatnot. So that's why I don't even like talking about marriage. Like, forget about it. Right. So these girls who end up in a marriage with this guy and it's even worse. If like white sisters, as soon as a white girl, as soon as a white girl takes Shahada, she starts getting WhatsApp messages for marriage. Just like that, literally, like you know, they, they, I, I, I know of people who got married the day they took shahada in the masjid. That's mad. <laughs> I know of that. I know of that happening in Birmingham. You know, and then you know, and a lot of the time, these girls think that somebody's gonna fix them. Again, there's this thing of mm. waiting for a man to come into your life to take away all your problems. Why? Because your whole life, all you've ever done is pursue the happiness of a man. Whether it's cooking for guests, whether it's being told, oh, what, why do you do this? Nobody will ever marry if you do. We keep on using marriage as this gauge for how competent a woman is, not how intelligent she is, not how pious she is. And that's the reason why the biggest influencers right now in Muslim circles, right, among women, it's makeup artists and anything to do with fashion and appearance, not opinion. Whereas the biggest influencers among Muslims, it's Muslim comedians, Again, that's still voicing an opinion, right? Scholars. Like, how many famous Muslim Muslim female scholars do we have? After Yasmin Mujahid, I can't think of many. L- literally, like, like you, you, can't, you can't name, like, as in there's not as many as there are fingers on your hand. 
I've, I've been through yeah, this exercise of trying to come up with that list and it doesn't exist, unfortunately. Like in terms of clout and social media presence or anything like that. Yeah. Because if a woman comes out and starts speaking on things as well, the kind of abuse that she mm. gets, the kind of things, if you see the things, like a sister I know who's quite knowledgeable showed me her inbox message that she gets, all these sexual threats and abuse from Muslim men. You know? So it's it's just, it's horrible. It's horrible. And on this topic of the marriage bandits, that's why I call them, right? And the thing is, they exist in every sect. Shias, you have people that do similar things. You told me one story that happened in America and whatnot. As soon as two, we have it. Because men will be men regardless of their sect, right? But this, there's one particular case of a guy who married and divorced so many women that they had to form a group and meet to make sure that their children know each other so that in the future they don't end up marrying among themselves. Wallahi, it was all over social media, right? There's just so much of this going on in the Muslim community to the point where I don't think Muslims have a right to laugh at, at Catholics. It's that rampant, right? Whether it's people that use muta among the Shias badly or Zawad, Messiah, you know, you've got flipping Sunnis, Sunni speakers who go from town to town and they, they used to marry and divorce and marry and divorce and marry and divorce and marry, wherever they went, wherever they were giving talks. You've got this and then they'll get like on the side, they'll be sleeping with non-Muslim women as well and they'll tell you that it's not really a sin because she's a kafir anyway. It's that mentality and that degradation of women. And then when women want to come out and expose, oh, she's lying. Or don't expose his sins. He's, it's a mistake he made. And, this, and they'll still allow these guys into mosques. Imagine a Muslim woman was exposed for having slept with 11 men. But, but or married and divorced. Also, it comes down to the dynamics, right? Because if they're using, for example, muta or, or Zawaj Masyar, as you're saying, in the Sunni tradition, uh, then it's technically not a sin, right? So then it becomes okay and it becomes basically your word as a woman versus this guy who's a huge... Yeah, and and it all comes back down to that for me. And I think it's always been about that um, when it comes to sexual abuse and and all this kind of behavior. Some of it can be legal technically, but still hugely problematic. But the problem I think as Muslims we have is that often we're okay to say, oh, well, if it's halal, it's okay. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, oh, I, 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 yeah. Until when it's, it's, it's until fine. when it's, it's just... your sister, until when it's your sister. Oh yeah, and yeah, yeah. this is something I want. And now a lot of people wonder, like, you know, like even now there have been recent cases of people, Muslims of note, being exposed for different levels. One where a guy basically put his hands up and said, "Look, I've done this, that, and the other," and another now that is more serious of someone drugging women. A guy who recites Quran now, um, with these situations, people come to me. I have so many. I know so many people by name that have done things, and I can't even speak about what they've done because the victims fear for their safety. You know, um, even like I know, like even in my industry, comedy, a lot of people have been exposed for doing certain things, and I always advise. We see this. This is something that a very wise person said to me, and I think we're gonna have to round up soon. I know I've taken up a lot of your time. Uh, you're welcome. But this is something uh, a wise person said this to me. The biggest problem with men is that we believe we are not capable of doing certain things 
when it's in our nature to do those things. So a lot of the time, you might be a well-meaning guy and end up making a mistake. I'm not talking about these rapists. and I'm talking about, you know, where men end up getting into deep or whatever. One of the reasons why, for example, me personally on social media, um, I, might, I, I come across as abrasive. Um, I'm meaner online than I am in person to a degree, right? I think when you meet me in person, you realize it's all tongue-in-cheek and whatnot, but... I have to work, okay. Not that's, for that's you, I hate debatable, you. That point, I hate you. Yeah, I hate you. But generally, I try and present myself Thanks. as flawed because I don't want to get put on a pedestal because I have a platform. Because the problem is this. Because there's a sheer lack of connection with fathers in the Muslim community. And I mean, I'm not saying absent dads. Dads may be present physically, but not emotionally. There's a lack of role models in the Muslim homes yeah. So because of that, we, we clamor to anybody who has a bit of clout online, social media, money, sports, any, anything, and we make them our role model. And, and, and I have a problem with that, and I don't ever want to be a role model, which is why I don't hide my flaws. You know, I am a bit of a dick sometimes, and I want people to understand I'm not perfect. I care about you and I will put out information that will benefit you, but I'll also annoy you sometimes and I'm not the nicest guy to be around when I'm in a bad mood. That's who I am. When you see people who present themselves on social media as perfect and you can see that their entire image has been crafted to present them as some sort of messiah, it's, if it seems too good to be true, it often is. And so, like, that's why I tell people, don't trust men, not even me. Right? Don't even trust. Everybody can do something wrong. It only takes a few seconds to do something horrible. So, you know, when people say, oh, he was a role model. The only role models I have are dead. Right? I only take my religion from the dead. Because their affairs are closed. Anybody else on YouTube, Facebook. Because when you think if someone told me I'm a role model, I said, you're an idiot. You're an idiot. I'm a role model, why? Because I'm on TV. Why am I on TV? Because I can tell jokes. I could be a murderer. Or anything. But because I have this time. I was, I was going to, I was going to ask you, and I think maybe we can like park it for next time, but I was going to ask your mm. kind of thoughts. And I think you've probably made it a little bit clear right now with what you just said about when these quote unquote scandals come about, like how you perceive it. Because I'm in a position where, you know, in, in the last five, 10 years, we've seen figures that have been uh, influential, notable figures in the Muslim community and outside the Muslim community. And then they get embroiled in some sort of scandal and it's found out that they've done X, Y, and Z. Some have been allegations, some have been proved and whatever else. But I've, I'm no longer surprised or shocked. Um, I don't personally hold anyone in such a high regard that I expect them to be perfect. Right? I don't expect them to, to be capable of doing something like you just said, right? And I think for me, that's the biggest takeaway, I think, for people that you, you just can't expect anything from anyone. Um, you can't hold someone in, in such a high regard that you don't think that they're capable of doing X, Y, and Z. Because what does happen, and I know there are articles that document this quite extensively, but mm. you know when you revere people and you hold them to be your sort of messiahs or whatever you want to call them, 
once they fall from grace, it pulls the rug from underneath you and you go into free fall because you're holding yeah, your, hope, you your, your as well. hopes in society and Islam and whatever it might be are pinned on this individual. And with their fall is, is your fall as well, which is the, the, the sad reality of what happens too often, right? Um, I, I think we, we yeah. probably do need to wrap up. Um, yeah. I, I feel like the last uh, 45 minutes to an hour of that was, was a very interesting and I think important um, monologue from yourself. But I, this is why I'm here. I love to just listen to you talk endlessly. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry, mate. No, no, no. It's all right. It's all right. Um, but yeah. I, I think look, I, I don't think this conversation is done though. I think there's so much more to talk yeah, about. I and think as we you need said, to have a volume two. Yeah, and uh, three even get maybe a female guest on here yeah. when it's less likely to talk about certain aspects of this topic, if that makes sense. But I mean, at the same time, I'm not infantilizing women. I'm sure if we can handle discussing these issues, so can a woman. But you know, um, as men, it's good for us to show that we don't mind. And some people are gonna say, Nabil. Somebody you know recently got caught up in some whatever. But the thing is, what everybody's accusing him of is not actually what he was like. Uh, a comedian that I know uh, was recently at the brunt of uh, a law of public hoo-ha. And of course, everybody used him as a scapegoat. I'm not saying that what he did, what he actually did was right, but it wasn't what people thought. Um, this is, you know, uh, F boy behavior, you know, with wasting women's time, but you know, like the whole player player nonsense, that kind of stuff, right? Which I don't know if you could call it predatory, but it's not right. Unfortunately, um, the way he worded his public statement was stupid. Um, I don't even know if he wrote that because now he's quite big. Uh, he's got publicists and all that kind of nonsense. There's no way he penned that himself. I hope not. Um, but a far right, um, a far-right Twitter account saw a tweet about a woman who was raped by a comedian and falsely said that it was my friend or this comic that did it. And because he's Asian and he's Northern, it took off like a wildfire and a bunch of people assumed the worst without even checking facts. And unfortunately, what people don't understand is those of us now that are in the public eye, those of us who might have television shows pending, who might have radio shows pending, book deals pending, anything, right? When it comes to certain allegations, we can't respond immediately because there's so many people behind us giving us legal advice as to what we can and cannot say, even when it's something ridiculous, even when it's something we know isn't true. And because he was silent for a long time before eventually responding, people assumed he was guilty of something he did not do. And nobody even bothered to check the source of this news. And, you know, we're told that when a FASIC brings us an account of something, right, we should verify it before we take it on board. And that's the same case now with uh, a guy who's based in Syria right now. And <laughs> some pictures of his have been leaked onto the Internet. And people already are assuming the worst without any actual evidence or victims coming forward claiming he's done anything. It's just a picture of a dude in a very compromising pose. <laughs> Naked. And, you know, I laugh, but it's it's not nice. It's, it's phone call hack. Now, personally, I think if you take negative pictures of yourself, you're, you're a bit of a moron because iCloud can be hacked and all that kind of stuff. But 
people are so we've fallen so far from grace as men that people are waiting for stories to come out about all of us and as soon as they come out we don't check to see the facts and verify now here's the thing i say believe the victims right you know it's important that women know that they can speak out about these things and i do think people in the public eye need to be scrutinized especially those in religious posts but at the same time learn to know uh, bovine excrement when you smell it you know look at the people that are saying it like a right-wing newspaper is claiming or a right-wing post uh a twitter account is saying something about a muslim man of clout without evidence do you automatically believe it do you share it or do you wait till facts come out first it would have been different if it was a sister or a woman who who said he did this to me and said it then by all means you know, so I, I believe in, I believe we should, we men should go and deal with these people ourselves in whatever capacity we can, of course, within the confines of the law. But, <laughs> but, you know, I, I will never keep quiet. And I think it's a huge hypocrisy. A woman takes off a hijab, the whole world goes crazy. A man is accused of rape and we're like, oh, but, uh, did she show her ankles? I don't, I, I don't, I don't agree with this. It's horrible. Yeah. But at the same time, we can't just automatically agree once you know, no evidence, no, well, not even evidence. Where'd you get evidence from? When there's no victims and somebody just says something about somebody, you can't just accept it. I, I think, you know, I mean, we had a, I think one or two calls in this week and we were discussing some of this stuff because we were talking about this podcast that we're going to be um, recording. And, and mm. personally, I, I feel like one of the sad things about society today is that we've reached a place where it's very difficult to have frank, open and honest conversations because of social media culture. So it's like if someone has been cancelled by social media, you, you can't say, oh, but maybe, or where's the proof? You can't ask these things. You can't actually have clarity on matters. And, and I think, I don't know the intricacies of, of what you've discussed with you know, your friends and, and whoever else, but I, I feel like th there is still this need for people to kind of be as objective as possible because... The unfortunate thing is that when you're looking at lives a story, can be ruined. Yeah, no, but 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 lives and also reputations and like and, and I think there's 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 a lot of hadith and things like that about reputation and and I think also you know someone's reputation is like it, you only get one shot at reputation sometimes, right? Like I can ruin your reputation tomorrow and say, oh, Nabil said X Y Z to me, and it could be completely false, but you I may like never to recover see you from try that. It, huh? You don't think I'll do it? <laughs> My, I've got my recording. is already bad. I've got recording, <laughs> yeah, go don't ahead. worry. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> um, know, but in all seriousness, like, I'm not saying, like, yeah, you're right. It's, you know, it's, yeah. it's, uh, it's not easy. Um, I will, but the whole thing of when women come out and say something, automatically assuming they're lying, we can't do that. It's, it's not right, man, because this stuff happens. Um, you know, at least look into it. Give them a platform to discuss the issues that... You know, um, but uh, what I find, unfortunately, is a lot of the time women are just silenced. Female victims are silenced. And there's no space whatsoever for male victims of sexual abuse. You know, and I think imams mm. and whatnot uh, need to come out and start talking about this stuff more because it's so embarrassing. Do you know that there are like other religious organizations have now had to do stuff because of the people from a Muslim community? Like, do you, are you aware that Sikhs now have special task forces that go to Gurdwari and teach their kids about grooming gangs 
from the so-called Muslim community because of how much they target underage Sikh girls. And there's so many... Do- like, it's embarrassing. Because we don't... We, we brush stuff under... Well, I say we. Pockets of the Muslim community brush this stuff under the carpet and don't address it. And then if you talk about it, you're a traitor. But it's happening every day. And, like, where, where are the groups of Muslims that are out here trying to solve the problem? Where are they? Where, where are the initiatives? I went, I used to, I was, I'm privileged that I, you know, I've, I've got a seat mate and sometimes, um, when we, we used to do, like, we used to do a lot of training because we used to use their hall, um, it was in Tooting to do some training. And I, I went in there and they have leaflets on how to report hate crime. They have leaflets on, um, grooming and, and sexual abuse and, and all this kind of stuff in their Gudwari. They've got training. They've got literature out there on, uh, they've got Sikh youth are going and other organizations are going to universities and giving support to victims of this stuff, right? To the point where even some Muslim girls and, and, and like non-religious people go to these organizations to get help. Whereas to, to my knowledge, the only people I can think of that do anything similar among Muslim communities is like, uh, nor domestic violence, uh, shout out to, uh, Mafuja and them. But you know, there's not enough. We need to do more. Mm. Yeah. Uh, as always, man, each one teach one, right? We are stronger together. We need to actually start speaking out about these things. And anywhere you see somebody um, harming a vulnerable person, do something.